How do you respond to storms? I remember a number of years ago, a derecho hit our community. If you don't know what a derecho is, Wikipedia says a derecho is a widespread, long-lived, straight-line windstorm that is associated with a fast-moving group of severe thunderstorms that can cause hurricane-force winds, tornadoes, heavy rains, and flash floods. So it's pretty intense. Now, at the time, there were a number of us in the home, including someone who was living with us, and each of us had different reactions. For some, the response to the storm was to get into the center of the interior hallway and ride the storm out. For me, I kind of wanted to see what this derecho looked like, so I was at the window with my camera going. People respond to storms in different ways, from being fearful of what could happen to being storm chasers. And if we're honest, we can see these same tendencies within the storms of our lives. This idea of running into the storms is something that really stood out to me in this conversation with Dr. Pamela Mashana. And so much in this conversation was really encouraging. What's really interesting about this conversation is the timing of it. When we recorded, it ended up being particularly meaningful for both of us as we both had big things on the horizon. And as Dr. Mashana reflects on how God revealed past trauma and its effect on her years later, it became clear to us that God was encouraging us how to step into the challenges that we had directly in front of us. And he wants to encourage you too, whatever your storms are. You're listening to episode 131 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this time for Pamela and I to connect. And just the fact that even before recording, we've already been able to connect in a number of meaningful ways. You've already worked in a number of meaningful ways. And so we thank you for the indicator that that is for what this conversation will be, that you can do abundantly more. And so we want to give it to you. We want to give you our words and our thoughts. And we pray that you would guide this time, but that you would also be glorified by it both now and wherever it goes from here. I was praying in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Pamela, I'm excited for us to talk because we've connected a few times yeah. and we've had this on the calendar for a while. Uh-huh. And then life got a little crazy on my end with illnesses, but there ended up being a window where we could still make this happen. And I was like, we're going to still make this happen. And yeah. I believe that God opened that window, but I don't know what he has in store. Uh-huh. Before we jump in, what would you want people to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Well, thank you, Paul, for inviting me. And it's been a pleasure every time we have a chance to chat. And I do believe God is always in the midst of it. So in terms of what I'd like people to know about me, I guess, first and foremost, I am one of God's children. (laughs) I believe we all are, but I like to say it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But also, this is an interesting question for me in this season in my life. Because a few years ago, maybe even almost seven years ago, I earned my PhD. But I'm not one of those people who are like, oh, I'm hoity-toity, I'm a PhD. I come from a background of incredible low self-esteem and not thinking I'm smart and all this kind of stuff. So one of the things God has called me to do in this season is to call myself Dr. Mashana. That may not make sense to other people, (laughs) but God deals with all of us individually. So I'm stepping into that. So I'm calling myself Dr. Mishana. And another thing he said he's doing in this season is there's different titles I've given myself at different points in my life. As a very young person and into my mid-20s, I define myself as an artist. 
And then I got called into the ministry and I defined myself as an evangelist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Then I became an educator by profession, and I define myself as an educator. God told me in this season, he's going to use all three working together and then some. So <laughs> that's how I'll introduce myself. And it takes courage for me to say that, and yeah. that's why I'm doing it. I love <laughs> so it. So that's what I'd like people to know. I'm also a mother and a daughter and a friend and all of those relational things. <laughs> yeah. One thing I love is that in everything that we've talked about, there's a lot I don't know about your story. And we're connecting in the midst of the season that I'm doing focused on sitting and suffering. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know where God's going to take this conversation. But as you've been thinking about this conversation, and as you've been thinking about this idea of sitting and suffering, what's God been bringing to your heart? Yeah. Wow. A couple of things came to mind. I think where I've settled at I don't know if I should say settled because I'm open to how the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. <laughs> yeah. But I think what's resonating the most right now is this coming Saturday is going to be big for me mm-hmm. in a spiritual sense, not just in a natural walk. A few years ago, I experienced a terrible situation at work. It was work related mm-hmm. and it left me so broken. I was just destroyed and I kept crying out to God and I was like, God, why are you permitting this? And you know the truth. My name was slandered and it was just, it was hard. It was so hard. It reached into my personal life. It affected my family, my daughter, even with struggles with depression and anxiety that we had never experienced before. I was saying, God, why are you allowing this? And it's so painful and it's so hard. (laughs) Well, what I found is he did allow it because I needed to see some other things that were underneath. Mm -hmm. I had experienced what a lot of people would call a certain level of success in life. And fear had been driving me my whole life. And I didn't know it. I didn't know to what extent. I didn't even know the degree of anxiety that was actually inside of me. And so it all came back to that event at work triggered something much deeper. That much deeper thing is I had been sexually violated as a child. Mm -hmm. I had partial memories of it. And over the course of my life, it's like I would have flickers of it. It happened to me more than once, but I think the worst was I was young and I locked those memories away. And God sent me on a journey of getting back in touch with that and showing me how it was affecting my now and how it could even affect my future. So a lot of peeling away had to happen. And in this window, and when I'm talking about what happened from what happened at work to even right now, this is an important week that I'm even having this discussion with you because it's all connected. This was years. I'm not talking about in a few days, in a few months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He just showed me all of this. I went through a time of suffering that was like a year and a half of confusion, of feeling like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is going on? I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to this, that, and the other. But the culminating thing that really, really hurt me deeply is how that situation hurt my daughter to the extent that she was not herself. Nothing is more painful (laughs) than when you see your children hurting. He actually, and I believe it happened under the anointing, he allowed that full memory of what happened to me to just come flooding in my mind. And it was almost like I reenacted it in front of my mother and my aunt. Mm. But it was healing 
And so let me connect it to now and how this sexual violation has anything to do with now. About 20 years ago, I started writing a novel and the novel was called Girls in Search of Cover. And it deals with the topic of sexual abuse and it deals with it in a generational sense. And I remember at that time in my life while I was writing the book, I could rarely sit down and write the book without just tears streaming from my eyes. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was led to intercede for hurting women and children all over the world, praying in the spirit. At that time, ironically, (laughs) an opportunity to go and work at the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls in South Africa came up. Mm -hmm. And when it first came up, I turned it down because I was a single mom and I thought I would have to leave my daughter. And you don't leave your daughter to go help other people's daughter. Mm -hmm. You take care of home first. But anyway, after prayer and consideration, my family and I said, it's no harm to put my name in the hat. So one thing led to another. God led me to go. But in the process, video footage was sent to me of the young ladies' lives. And that's one of the ways I knew that God was sending me there. When I saw their story, it was very much like my own story in many ways. And I believe that when you have a job, it's not the job itself first. The job is the vehicle for God to get you there for ministry. And that's 20 years ago. All this stirring of this issue started in me. And I started writing this book. But when I came back, I was working on my PhD and I kind of put the book aside. And I said, when I'm done with my PhD, I'll go back to the book. But one of the other things that I learned is that it was so painful for me. The PhD was an excuse Mm. to not deal with the topic. But then these events that happened in more recent years triggered it. And it was so devastating. Like I thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. I didn't even understand how something that stemmed from work could affect me so deeply. And although it was a terrible event, it really was the weight of the previous event from childhood that was surfacing all together. I have been caused to learn quite a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the last few years. Do you know, even in the middle of this, (laughs) I thought I was suffering quite a lot. I come from a family, we pray, we pray all the time, even sometimes just spontaneously we're hanging out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we were at my aunt's house one day and we just were led to pray. And in that time, I clearly heard God saying on the inside, pray for me to crush you. Mm. And I was thinking, what more can be crushed? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was afraid to say those words, but I did. And I said it in greater tears because I thought, oh my God, what more do I have to face? (laughs) But you know, what I've learned is that even the crushing is a gift. I know that people listen to them, they're like, no, thank you. Or I don't understand that. That sounds crazy. But... (laughs) In the process, God actually shows you that you're more forgiving than you thought you were. He calls you to be more forgiving than you thought you could ever be. I thought I was pretty forgiving anyway. Mm -hmm. I did. (laughs) I thought I was living, you know, a pretty okay Christian life. I mean, I know we all sin. I mean, you get saved, you're going to fall, you're going to make mistakes. And I got to say that I went through quite a few years experiencing God's favor to such an extent that this all happening was unbelievable. 
yeah. <laughs> to me. <laughs> he had favored me and blessed me so much. I had went through a period of suffering. Then I went through a period of this favor. And then here I was again at this suffering and it's even greater than before. And what I've learned is our Christian walk is cycles. Mm -hmm. Of course I had had suffering in between, but now I think there's cycles inside of larger cycles. <laughs> I think there's some really big ones that are really life-changing. And when I say life-changing, I'm really talking about the soul and the spirit mm -hmm. and going to another level and learning how to operate on another level. You hear some pastors say new levels, new devils. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you're called to. So as I approach this coming weekend, I am doing my first book reading and signing of this novel. So for me, it's not just something I've written that has entertainment value. It's ministry. Mm -hmm. I feel like something big is happening in the spirit in me and through me. So this is an interesting week, even for me to do this talk with you. Right. <laughs> it's something that has been hard for me to share for the majority of my life, mm -hmm. but I believe I'm called to share. And I believe that my novel is ministry. What I want more than anything is that people who have experienced sexual violation or know someone who has, that there's takeaways and that as the character journeys through all this stuff and they reach a place of wholeness, that the characters see glimpses of how they too can arrive at such a destination. Mm -hmm. And the way it's written is that this character is representative of generations of women who have suffered and died without receiving the promise, so to speak. So when she does, she receives it for all of them. And I've written it in a way that they are somehow cheering her on, cheering her forward, almost like the cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I know I've been all over the place <laughs> in talking about suffering, but I think this one has come to the forefront of my mind just simply because of what I have going on right now. And it's a big deal for me to be candid and to see and learn how God would have me share and help other people through this kind of tragedy, if you will. Yeah. I'm since making my own life. And one thing I've learned is that God doesn't waste suffering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's for you and it's for the world if you dare share. I even remember when I was going through that really difficult time at work and I felt like I'm losing my mind. I had been a principal and one of my employees that I didn't even know was paying that close attention to me, she contacted me outside of the workplace and she asked me for prayer. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, can I really be there for her right now? But she reminded me again of myself. She was a young single mother with a young daughter and she was just really going through it. But what I learned is, yes, God wanted me to put myself aside, even though I feel like I'm losing my mind, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and pray for her and be there for her. And I gave her books to read and scripture, and she came to visit at church and stuff. The irony of all of that, which I'm sure you know, and maybe many of our listeners know, is that it's so funny that in helping others, if God used you as a conduit, you get wet in the process. So part of your healing and your own deliverance is in being willing to be used as help or a type of deliverer mm -hmm. in somebody else's life. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's kind of how I have sat in suffering. And when I say sat, this lasted for just about seven years. Mm. And I certainly reached times where I felt like Joe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People who know me well and are Christian, they would even encourage me through scriptures <laughs> from Job. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, I'm really shocked that it's taken me so long to say this part. There was a point when I was going through all of this where God made Jesus's experience leading up to the cross and then the resurrection. It became way more meaningful to me mm-hmm. than it ever had before in my life. Part of me is even ashamed to even slightly relate my situation to what Jesus went through. But if I'm honest, the Holy Spirit spoke parallels to me. It definitely created a different appreciation for me of what Christ went through, even though I knew mine was nowhere (laughs) in comparison. But I understood what the calling is to suffer, to be slandered, to be beaten, so to speak, and called not to defend, Mm -hmm. to feel like you're dying and still pray for the people who are doing harm to you. All of that comes alive in a different way. And at first, God was just focusing me on the whole cross part of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what was exciting to me is for two years, he had me just sit with the word I'm paraphrasing, to know Christ in his suffering, but also the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And the resurrection just resonated in me for two years. It's like God wanted me to know something about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. And the suffering has purpose in the sense that you come out with this resurrection power. And what did we see from Jesus when he did reveal himself? after being raised from the dead. And what does that mean? And I got to tell you, I'm still sitting in that. Mm -hmm. I'm still reflecting on that. But I'm richer around all of that. Because again, I believe God allows these cycles and this suffering for us to know who we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To move past the pain of this world. We're housed in flesh, but we are spirit. And we get in touch with who we are as spirit through the deepening of our understanding of Christ. I never forget how at a certain point, Jesus said to Peter, after God gave him a revelation of who Jesus is, he said to him, and I say that you are Peter, a rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. But in knowing who Christ, seeing who Christ is, he then could receive and know who he is. And I think that we go through a similar thing. And so As we go through deeper things with God, he causes us to know who we are. Mm. I'm also caused to remember a time when I was teaching Sunday school. And I remember it was talking about, I think it was the Babylonians and they were coming up against Israel. And I remember saying, God, this is so unfair. Mm -hmm. They're in a weakened condition. And why are the fiercest of the fierce being even allowed to come up against them? I'm saying this in my heart, not even out loud, but I'm asking God, like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And he said to me, as clear as day in my spirit, if my people defeat the fiercest of the fierce, who then now is the most fierce? Mm So he's always trying to show us who we are. Do we really see that we are made in his likeness? 
Do we see that we're his children, that we have access to the things of him, the parts of him, the way he does things, the way he prays, the way he knows for certain that when he rebukes an enemy, the enemy has to flee? Do we see ourselves as truly being an extension of him, his children? Mm -hmm. And so we can look at that even in the natural. We expect our children to come into our home and know that they have access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have access just because of their birthright, yeah. <laughs> because of bearing our surname. <laughs> and they can walk, they do walk in a certain confidence that they can go to the refrigerator and get something to eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. And do we walk? in that same knowing. So I think that a lot of the suffering that I've experienced has been for me to understand who I am and what I'm called to do. Callings are not without a price, so to speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not to make something sound scary. It's actually an honor. It's scary when we, again, we're not understanding who we are. So I try now to run into the storm to run into the problem and the suffering, because I feel that when you run toward it, you get past it quicker, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like David with Goliath, he went with a confidence knowing, I come in the name of the Lord, therefore, mm -hmm. <laughs> we know how this story is going to end. And I think that the more we have that kind of revelation, we are not like the Lord's army who were shrinking in fear. We run toward the Goliath and we run into the storm. I have this women's group that talks bi-monthly now. Mm -hmm. And she shared how bison run into the storm and the other cattle run away from it. And by running away from it, the storm is actually following them. So they stay in the storm longer. Mm -hmm. The bison run toward the storm and they ultimately get out of it quicker because they ran into it. And that analogy that she shared blesses me and it helps me understand what I'm called to do. Yeah. So in this season, when I'm scared and man, in this season, I'm scared of a lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I challenge myself because of God's leading to run into the things that make me afraid. Yeah. Oftentimes the things that make you afraid are even pointing towards your calling. Because why is it making you afraid? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, God is not calling us to be afraid. So what is that all about? It's kind of a clue that, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now there's a healthy fear. I'm not saying that, okay, you learn that the fire is hot, so go ahead and burn your hand. But I think those internal deep fears that are almost paralyzing are a sign that you actually can. And somewhere inside of yourself, you haven't owned that you can. And maybe perhaps there's negative thoughts and feelings that's trying to stop you. Because imagine if we don't do it. I'm already thinking my book is going to bless people. What if I don't write it? What if I don't conquer my fear and do my reading that's coming up? <laughs> mm -hmm. What if I don't talk about it? Do you know that's scarier? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's more frightening <laughs> than if I don't do it, because I will always have in my mind, what if that was really going to help some people who have suffered in a way similar to me? I wouldn't want that for anybody. To live with that is somehow scarier. 
You know, there's so many nuggets in what you shared and a lot that I resonate with. Like even you talking about, you were starting to wonder if you were going crazy. Like some people could hear that and just think that it's an anecdotal lighting thing. But I experienced that too in a hard, hard work situation. I'm like, am I crazy? Because no one else seems to see this. You're hitting at some really real and deep stuff. But what you just said about fear, I think is so important because scripture can be confusing, right? We see fear throughout scripture, but then we hear passages that say, fear not. But then we see something about the fear of the Lord. It's like, (laughs) all right, so do we fear? Do we not fear? You even made the comment that there is some healthy fear. And I think where we run into trouble is it's not if we have fear that's the issue. It's what are we allowing to control us? And is it the fear that's controlling us? And fear of what? Mm -hmm. When we talk of fear of God, I think it's healthy to recognize how big and powerful God is and how unworthy we are and to have some healthy fear around that. Mm -hmm. But fear of being crushed because we don't want to be crushed because we don't want to be hurt. Well, that's not a healthy fear to give into. When you were talking about that crushed piece, and I appreciated that, it made me think of this weekend. I was spending some time with some friends and We were talking about how whenever they run the shower upstairs, Mm -hmm. you can hear a clicking in the wall Mm -hmm. and it sounds like a water drop. We don't know for sure what it is because it's behind the wall Mm -hmm. and we recognize it could be a number of things, but if it's water, it could cause a lot of internal damage. Mm -hmm. And without knowing, he's reflecting on it. He's thinking, man, I'm going to have to crush this wall. I'm going to have to get somebody to tear this wall up. And I don't want to do that because I spent a whole lot of time putting a new coat of paint not too long ago, I'm going to have to repaint the wall. And if the paint's not the same and, you know, this, that, and the other, he's thinking about all the issues that are going to come from if somebody crushes the wall to find this issue. Mm. But he's also keenly aware that if he avoids that crushing of the wall Mm. because of the problems it will cause, there could be internal stuff going on Mm -hmm. that could end up being a whole lot worse. So in other words, is tearing up the drywall destructive? Yes. Is it going to cause damage to hard work you may have done painting? Yes. Are you going to possibly have to do more work painting? Yes. Mm. But there's a purpose to it because it's getting to a deeper problem. It's getting to the deeper rot that could be taking residence within the wall. But we get so afraid. We're building our lives up. You talked about the cycle, right? We don't like cycles because we are thinking linearly. Mm. I was this but I'm trying to get towards this and I don't want to go back. A cycle makes it feel like, oh, now I'm going back to where I was. From God's perspective, that's not what's happening. He's not pulling us back to an old place. He's actually honing us, going deeper and deeper. It's like, I was trying to think of some good example of what that could be, but even something like painting a beautiful painting, Mm -hmm. you can't just do all the paint at once because if you do, it's all going to smear. There are some moments where you have to let the paint you put down dry so that when you do the new coat, it doesn't wash away the old coat. It doesn't mix with that. Absolutely. So in the same way, like God is continuing to hone us. He's continuing to paint us. But there are these things that we want to get right through that God realizes we can't. And this is the big thing that right when you start talking, it hit me. There's so much we think we know and understand mm-hmm. about who we are, about who God is, about what life is. But your story started with the reality that there were things that are a part of your life your experience, your history, and who you are that you weren't even aware of. Part of you had locked those thoughts away, had locked those memories away. And once that happened, you went through the rest of your life believing something that wasn't entirely true or wasn't entirely complete. And God knows all this. And here we are arguing with God about, why is this thing happening at work? Yeah. 
But God's like, you don't know the deeper thing that I'm doing. Right. How do you get to a place where you can practice trusting God when you can't fully trust him because you don't fully know yet? Mm -hmm. You know, everything we're talking about, I don't actually think is something we're doing of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that we're always learning how to do these things. The Bible shows us some things too. Somewhere in the Old Testament, I almost want to say Deuteronomy, I don't know. <laughs> but the Israelites are crossing the Jordan, I believe. And God tells them to erect a monument mm-hmm. so that the coming generations will know what he did for them. And so I think our lives are full of these monuments Now, you may have to go back and erect them. (laughs) Don't let yourself forget them. It helps me go through the next phase of suffering or whatever I'm called to by remembering God is faithful. God worked it out before. He worked it out on this other level. So when I'm talking about cycles, I say the word cycle because it's a familiar place, Mm -hmm. but it's on a different level. Yeah. I know the signs of how God is working in me is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It's not that I've never suffered before. I've never had him cause me to deal with certain aspects of myself, yielding or submitting or whatever it is. But he calls us to another level of love, another level of showing grace. We can practice even seeing through his eyes and having compassion and empathy. But there's always another level of it that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's required to open our eyes. Yeah. Well, I think that idea of remembrance and when scripture talks about those monuments, those Ebenezer's, I think it really points out a reality about ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge that we just constantly forget. We are constantly forgetting what God has done. We're constantly forgetting who God is, who he has been to us. And then we'll go into the next situation, trying to do that linear progression forward, 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 and totally miss the mark. And this is what I love about that idea of remembrance when it comes to trusting God when we can't really know what he's doing, is we don't actually have to know what he's going to do. This is the cheat code right here. This is the big secret. We go through life thinking we have to know what's happening and how to get there. Meanwhile, God's saying, no, actually, all you need to know is me. Yeah. And so when we get to that next struggle, that next suffering moment, we don't have to figure out why is this happening to me or what do I need to do or where is God trying to get me to? It's Mm -hmm. how can I stop and recognize that God's inviting me to be with him in this moment? Mm -hmm. That's what we see in scripture so often is where people ended up was nowhere near what they would have anticipated. Sometimes nowhere near what they would have wanted. Mm -hmm. The apostle Paul, when he was Saul, would not have wanted to be beaten and flogged and eventually murdered. Peter, when he was a fisherman, would not have wanted to be (laughs) imprisoned and killed. And all these things that people went through when they decided to seek after God led to something beyond what they could have imagined. Absolutely. And I love the way you're bringing that out because you're right. We don't have to know, but there is something we do need to know. We need to know who our Heavenly Father is. Mm -hmm. And in that, trust is born. Again, I'm going to relate it to our children in the natural. They know, okay, my mom's been a good mom to me. Every time I get hungry, she provides food. So it's kind of the same thing. I don't know where God is taking me, but I know he's been faithful that when I get hungry, he provides food. Mm -hmm. So I trust in that. And also the remembering, because 
I keep thinking um, a couple of times in my life where it's actually more than a couple, but a few times in my life when God just did incredible things, like you can't explain it in the natural. And that helps enlarge my faith for the things that I need him to do. And it's not even just needing him to do for my sake, but needing him to do for the calling he's put in, on my life. Mm-hmm. And when I think of those times when I was like, I'm at a loss. It's no way in the world I can do this. So I'm like, God, either you do it or it can't be done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I remember those times when he did what I just had no power, no access, no resources to do. And I kind of sit like a kid before God. And I say, okay, God, I know that faith without works is dead. And look, this is the part that I perceive is in my power to do. And this is what I've done. I'm approaching a part that either you need to illuminate and show me how I am able to do this, or this is where you act. (laughs) And I just have to stay in that place of faith. And I've had times in life where it didn't come easy. I had to persevere in waiting. And what I mean is, it's clearly a waiting moment because it's not just magically unfolding, but I had to press into it. I had to fight for it. And that's the part that helps me remember the scripture that talks about this kingdom of God suffered violence, but the violence take it by force. Sometimes you have to be that persistent neighbor or person I'm thinking about the parables now Mm -hmm. (laughs) who keeps knocking until finally the person gets up and gives them what they want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And do you know that even since that time, I've had worse news come to me and my reaction was totally different. Mm -hmm. And I heard God whisper, don't be distracted. Keep doing what I told you to do. Whereas what was happening would normally, I get up and panic and respond Again, related to my daughter. I'm not saying everything because I feel like I would be sharing in her business. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was a situation that would normally cause me to panic and I jump up and I'm trying to fix it. And, oh, my God, what do we do? Or even prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And God just said, nope, keep doing what you're doing right now. Yeah. And do you know he's done that to me at least twice since all of this. Mm -hmm. And it pans out that he has it under control. Mm -hmm. He has it under control. There are some things that happen in life that are intended to be distractions. It doesn't mean that they're not valid reasons to give pause and to have concern. But when you erect the monument and you remember the last time he told you to be still and know that I am God, Mm -hmm. it causes that knee-jerk response to be calm. Yeah. I think we live and we learn and we are definitely called. Again, no lesson is wasted. I don't think we learn what we learn to just say, hmm, I've learned something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think we are called to learn and then even allow God to provide lessons through us. Yeah. And to keep learning ourselves. I can't count how many times and I've only known you for a short time, but I've said to you so many times, wow, I'm learning from you. (laughs) Not that I should be so shocked, but to be honest, I I will be honest. It's not that often that I meet people who I learn from so much. (laughs) 
I'm open to learning. So I feel that I was supposed to meet you now. Yeah. Not everyone speaks to your life in the same way, or it can be Rama or however we want to describe it. Mm-hmm. But you've been a blessing in several ways already. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that encouragement. And here's the thing is oftentimes when you've made that comment, the things that you felt like you learned from me I was actively learning from God doing something in my life. And it brings us back to this idea of cycle and our misunderstanding of how things work. Because even when we talk about learning, we're thinking of it in a progressive way. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of these facts. And now I know these facts. And now I know them always. I know the alphabet. I'm not going to lose that. I've got it. So now I can build upon it with how to form words. And so it's like this progressive thing. And so when we feel like God teaches us a spiritual lesson, We really struggle when suddenly we're finding ourselves cycled back as though we didn't know that lesson. (laughs) We're operating in the same fear again. It's like, well, shouldn't I know better? But the thing is, it's not that God gives us these spiritual truths and realities as though they're history facts that we just plug in and now we've got them and we move on. He's, again, trying to hone us into something. Mm -hmm. And if we're not humble and willing enough to keep coming back to this place of God working us deeper then we're going to struggle because this is the other thread that's been woven throughout what you've shared. There's a lot we don't know. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite passages, and I shared it in a recent podcast, is John 13, 7, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And Peter is pushing back on it like, ah, you can't wash my feet. Like, you're -hmm. you're Jesus. You can't wash my feet. Right. And what he says in 13, 7 is, right now you do not understand what I'm doing, but one day you will. Well, I've been spending a lot of time looking into Peter because I'm going to be doing a teaching next week on Acts and a number of the epistles, but focusing on the first church. And Peter is a pretty significant player there. And his story is just so intriguing. Mm. Who he was when Jesus met him as a fisherman to where we see him at the end, our world's different. Yeah. But there's this really beautiful moment where there is some stuff within Peter that needed to be crushed and brought out. And one particular was his misunderstanding of the Gentiles. All his life, he had been told that Jews and Gentiles do not associate. Mm -hmm. You do not associate with each other. You do not eat with a Gentile. You do not interact with them. There's a hard line. Mm -hmm. And what's hilarious is he spends three years with this guy named Jesus who's constantly interacting with Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so already there should be an indicator, right? But they also know scripture. And there's so much Old Testament scripture that talks about God's redemptive plan that includes the Gentiles, all the world. And then when Jesus is commissioning them, he says, go into all the world, not just Jerusalem, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? So Mm -hmm. all these things are there. But Peter doesn't realize how deep down this misunderstanding is. And he wasn't moving forward on this commission. And it took the Holy Spirit doing some ridiculous stuff. Like one, the Holy Spirit gave a vision to a guy named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and told him to go seek out Peter. Mm -hmm. And then the Holy Spirit gave Peter this vision of a sheep being laid down. So it wasn't even a direct thing about Gentiles, because Spirit knew Peter wasn't ready to be that humble, right? Three times the same vision about this food that Peter's like, well, I'm not allowed to eat that. And God's like, don't call something unclean that I would call it clean. Three times. And then the Holy Spirit made Elias' place arrive just at that moment. Mm -hmm. And then the Holy Spirit told Peter, hey, go with them. Don't discriminate. Don't hesitate. Go with them. All these things. Put another way, there is so much within Peter that he didn't realize was in there that the Holy Spirit had to hit (laughs) in so many specific different ways to get through to him. Yeah. But then he saw it and he's like, oh man, 
Now, was he perfect after that? No, actually, Paul had to rebuke him later and say, look, you're sitting there eating with the Gentiles when no one else is around. But when James is sending his guys over, suddenly you pull back because you're afraid what they're going to think of you. There's that fear piece again. But you feared them. And so you started acting differently. Mm -hmm. I love that because we can, from the outside, look at Peter and basically just make him a saint Mm -hmm. and forget his humanity, forget his journey, forget his struggles, forget his missteps. Or we can overemphasize and do a broad sweep of, oh, Peter was rash. But what we really need to see is Peter was a person. Mm -hmm. He even says that oftentimes, I'm just a man. (laughs) Like like when Cornelius bows down to him, he's like, oh my gosh, it's you. He's like, I'm just a man Uh like you. He was just a man that the spirit was working through. And this has been the theme of what you've been sharing. You're just a person that the spirit is working through and doing things that you wouldn't have foreseen, you wouldn't have chosen. And now you're coming up to this book release that you're like, I tried to give up on this book a while back and get a doctorate so I didn't have to think about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. God sees such a bigger picture, has such a deeper understanding But man, he has such a compassionate grace for us Mm -hmm. that while we're stumbling through, Mm -hmm. thinking we know what we know, thinking we know where to go, like he's so patient with us to say, man, Paul and Pamela (laughs) still don't get it, but I still love them. Right. It makes me think of with my kids, so many moments where they feel like they're suffering. One picture that comes to my mind is when one of them was playing on a play set when they were very young Mm -hmm. and they were trying to climb down. And that their feet couldn't touch. And they were suffering because they felt like there was an endless void under them. That if they let go, they're going to fall to their doom. Right. right. And me as the parent, I'm looking at them and I'm like, your toes are just two inches away. Yeah. All you need to do is stretch a little bit further mm-hmm. and they're going to touch. But they could not hear it because they could not trust it. Because right. they don't know that it's only two inches further. Exactly. What they feel is emptiness under them. So their mentality is, therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to risk it. And how often we do that with God when we're in the midst of suffering. God is not telling us exactly what we need to know. He's saying, keep going, like you noted earlier. Keep trusting. That's the beautiful opportunity for us is instead of saying, all right, God, but how much longer or how much farther or exactly how? Instead of doing all that, if all God gives us is keep going, then that's what we do. He knows the destination and we don't have to know. I like the way you keep using the word deeper. And when I was listening to you a few minutes ago, I was thinking of the analogy of a building being built in terms of the way we learn. Hmm. We may get a foundation and we're like, oh, okay, I get this love thy neighbor thing. Uh-huh. And we're all excited because we have this revelation that's bigger than we were just in the natural. I'm thinking of like when we first become believers mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're excited about everything. I'm like, oh my God, I never thought about it that way. And so what I've learned is there's nothing in me that says I've arrived at learning. Yeah. I know that there's this tabernacle of learning that's taking place in my life. So a new brick gets added, plaster on the wall gets added, but it's the same concept. He really did. So I'm not afraid to say that God taught me something more about love Mm -hmm. because we've started this journey around love and I have this foundation and I have some bricks laid and I fully expect for him to give me another brick and some more plaster. I'm not shocked by him adding to that. It's like we're 
erecting this monument that I will never arrive at finished. Mm -hmm. I have to keep building these buildings. And there's several, whatever area we're learning in. If self-esteem, mercy, grace, empathy, whatever the topic is, joy, having peace, you've truly learned. And that's not going away. Mm -hmm. But he's going to call you to go deeper, to learn more, to go higher, to a greater level of understanding. Mm -hmm. And so I don't throw away the fact that I learned it years ago. Mm -hmm. I learned it to a certain degree years ago. And he's calling me now to build on that foundation, to go higher in my understanding. And it's usually because he wants us to give a greater expression of him. He's calling us. Okay, you've been loving on this level, Mm -hmm. but now I'm calling you to open those arms a little bit wider. Yeah. And love on this level. <laughs> yeah. I love that you emphasized understanding as well, because learning can be very stringent to just facts, but understanding is what you do with those facts, how you perceive those. And it made me think of the verse that says something to the effect of, you know, may your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And so that's why the cycle is so valuable, because God's taking us deeper and deeper into how we perceive it. It's why you don't just read the Bible once and be like, all right, I got it. It's why you can continue to read the same verse over and over. And then one day you see something you didn't before. Or you had experienced the sharing and the suffering of Christ verse dozens of times prior to that moment. But then in that moment, you're like, oh, I get this now. Like, it's not just a head knowledge. I understand in a deeper way what it means to share in the suffering. I can feel this. (laughs) Right. You know, there's so much more we could talk about, but as we close up, I have a few questions. And one of them is, let's say somebody's listening and they feel like they're sitting in the midst of suffering because, and they might not realize it, but there are these deeper trauma things that they have forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And so they haven't yet realized those, but they're feeling the weight of things. What would you say to someone who's in that pivotal place? I would say that if you're sensing something, there's a reason and you have to challenge yourself to be willing to look at it and go to God and ask him to reveal it. And don't expect it to happen overnight. It's a process. God knew how much I could deal with at a time. There's a reason why I locked it away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he shows us in part, so to speak, until we mature to the point of actually being able to feel the weight of that thing. But if you sense it, I would say it's probably there Mm -hmm. and you're being called to have a look at it. And you know what? It may not even be something that was done to you. It may be something you have done Mm -hmm. and shame or guilt or whatever, not being able to deal with it in that moment, you kind of locked it away. And these things actually have a power to control us in a way that we're not understanding is controlling our lives. For me, again, it was fear and anxiety that I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think back now and I say, if I had understood these things, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. And at the same time, I know I wasn't called to do any of it differently. I keep trying to spread the word, though, especially with young people. I want all people to have this type of epiphany, but young people, I feel that it took me so long for certain things to connect. I want young people to understand it sooner. And I think they can, but I also understand that we're called to have a journey according to what God has for us. And we'll learn and piece up together. 
in his timing. Everything has a time and a season. That's good. But I would say go for it in prayer. Let the Holy Spirit reveal and be open to what he's going to show you. Yeah, that's good. And trust. If God wants to show you, he knows what he's doing. (laughs) If somebody wanted to connect with you or your content, how can they do so? I would say the easiest way is to look me up on my website. And it's actually the title of my book, which is called girlsinsearchofcover.com. I have PamelaMashana.com, but I recently realized that it's not directing people to the right place. So (laughs) the best way is to go to girlsinsearchofcover.com and there you can even see my podcast. I'm a fellow podcast host and you can learn more about me. All of my social media handles are there and so forth. But you know what? An easy way too is, yeah, all of my social media basically just has my name, Pamela. P-A-M-E-L-A, and then Mashana, M-S-H-A-N-A. And that's a very unusual name. So nine times out of 10, you'll be locating me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best guy. You're not trying to look at the little thumbnail. Is that is that her? I don't know. <laughs> As we close out, is there anything else that God's placing on your heart that you want to share? I want to, again, acknowledge you. That's the first thing that's coming to my mind and encourage you. Mm-hmm. I think you have a beautiful ministry. And I'm so thankful for the way that you are allowing God to use you. And I'm going to keep learning from you. Now I know how to get in touch with you and see where you're providing lessons and so forth (laughs) at your website. And I just want to encourage everybody to receive the name that God has given them. Mm -hmm. Receive the name that God has given them. And if that doesn't make sense to you, ask God about it. (laughs) You will walk, you will run, Scripture is filled with passages about storms, including using storms to describe God and his all-inspiring power. But perhaps one of the most well-known examples of storm in Scripture is when Jesus calmed the storm. You find this in several of the Gospels, including in Mark 4. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We started this episode talking about how we could respond to storms in different ways. We can cower, we can run recklessly, and we could do everything in between. But Jesus does something here that we don't often think about. He takes a nap. How is it that Jesus was able to take a nap in such a vicious storm? Now, these storms aren't small things. There are passages in scripture that describe that when storms hit on the sea, those on the boat will throw everything they can. In fact, when we read about Jonah in the storm, he says, you're going to have to throw me over. 
Those who knew the sea knew that these storms could mean death. And the last thing that they would think to do is take a nap. So why was it Jesus was able to take a nap? It was because he knew that the storm could not hurt him. And the inverse is why we can't nap in those moments, why we can't nap in the storms in our lives, because we believe that the storms can destroy us. I wonder if any of the disciples, particularly the fishermen, looked at the sky as Jesus was saying, let us go across to the other side and said, ah, I don't know about this, Jesus. There's a storm coming. I kind of want to believe that they did, because what it meant is that they still chose to follow Jesus even into the storm. And this is what Pamela is inviting us into, is to not run away from the storms of life, but to run into them. But Jesus still demonstrated something different. Because when the disciples got into the most intense part of the storm, they were still fearful. They were so fearful that they woke Jesus from his slumber and accused him of not caring about them. Jesus cared deeply about them. Not only did Jesus know that the storm wouldn't harm him, he knew the storm wouldn't harm them. Their invitation wasn't to survive the storm. Their invitation was to trust him. Their efforts to survive the storm did nothing. But the moment that they sought him, they realized that he was so powerful that even the wind and the sea obeyed him. Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Why are we so afraid in the storms of life? Well, it's because of the same reason that the disciples were afraid. The storm was very real. The waves were very deadly. The wind was very destructive. It made total logical sense for them to be afraid. So why was Jesus asking them why they were so afraid? Well, it's because Jesus was trying and trying and trying to show them how limited their human logic was. Jesus was spending so much time trying to demonstrate to them that the ways of the world are not the ways of God, that the ways that God can work are abundantly more than they could ask for or imagine. In other words, he was trying to show them that they hadn't been given a spirit of fear. They were choosing a spirit of fear. And then Jesus says this to them, Have you still no faith? Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have to ask ourselves, in the midst of the storms, when we are choosing a spirit of fear, what is it that we're hoping for? What is it that we're longing to see? And what is it that Jesus is inviting us to hope for and see? Jesus was longing for the disciples to not hope for their self-preservation, but to hope for eternal life. He was giving them evidence not of things of this world, but hidden things, eternal things, mysteries that they had never seen before. And he's doing the same for us. Jesus knows that your hardships are beyond your capacity, that they are painful, that they are confusing, that they are frightening. But he's inviting you not to hope for your self-preservation or your comfort or your security, but to hope for something eternal, a full life that is far greater than anything you could imagine in this life, abundantly more than you could ask for or imagine. And he's revealing himself, giving evidence of things that we cannot see on our own. Pamela hits on this when she talks about the cycles. The evidence is there, and as we continue to come back through in these moments and in these seasons, it hones our understanding of what that evidence points to. And what that evidence points to is what the disciples saw in that boat. Jesus wasn't just a man, but was the Son of God, powerful beyond their understanding and loving beyond what they deserved. And yet, he remained with them. Jesus is with you now in the midst of your storm. He may invite you to go into it, 
he may come it. But either way, he's going to be with you in the midst. How might that change how you understand the storm today? I want to invite you to imagine Jesus sleeping in the midst of your storm. How would you respond if you saw him sleeping now? And how could you respond if you understood his love for you more deeply? I want you to imagine him there. And then go into your storm trusting that Jesus is loving and powerful for you today. I truly believe that when you do this, the storm's going to look and feel different. And you're going to have a renewed opportunity to ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?